When I was in early elementary school, my older brother and I and a friend were at the friend's house. And by his house, there was this big field. And so we were out in the field, just hanging out, playing. And we stumbled across some jewels, several pretty sizable jewels, and our eyes got big. We were quickly very excited. And so we began to ask, you know, what are these? Could they be real? So we held them up to the light, tried to examine them as closely as we could, and we started to excitedly wonder, had we just become rich? Had we struck it rich in these jewels that we had found? I wonder if you've ever found something of significant value. I don't mean a $5 bill in your laundry, although that's a wonderful find, and it always makes my day when I do find that. But I mean something more than that, something of sizable value. Have you ever just stumbled across that, ever just found that? If you did find something of life-changing value, I wonder how you would respond. And today in our passage, Jesus tells a story about that. Finding something of great, life-changing significance and how it has impact for our lives together, our lives individually today. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew 13. Today we'll be in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44. So when the Bible is provided near you, you can find it on page 819 page 819. I encourage you to open up a copy of the Bible or open up a Bible app just so you can see the text, so you can see exactly where I'm drawing these thoughts from as we work our way through the text. If you're newer to reading the Bible, when you open up the large numbers or the chapter numbers, so we're in chapter 13, the smaller numbers, the verse numbers, we'll start in 44, and I'll mention those throughout our time together. If you don't own a copy of the Bible yourself, we as a church would love to give you one today as a gift. So following the service at the back of the room, there's a table, there's a stack of Bibles there, there's a sign by it that says free Bibles. Please just grab one of those. You don't have to ask permission. Please just take one of those today as our gift to you. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're picking up today Matthew 13, verses 44 and following. So this is Jesus speaking. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. It was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him. They said to him, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Today, as we look at our passage, we're going to see this emphasis. Embrace lasting joy 
in the kingdom, even though it costs everything, and invite others to embrace this treasure as well. Embrace lasting joy in the kingdom, even though it costs everything, and invite others to embrace this treasure as well. And we'll look at our passage in two parts. First, we'll see finding treasure, and then second, sharing treasure. We'll spend the majority of our time on the first. So first, finding treasure in verses 44 through 50. Jesus continues as he has been previously in this chapter, teaching using parables. And he gives us two similar but not identical parables in verses 44 through 46. And the first of the two, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. In a society like that uh, of that day where there were not reliable banks, if you had treasure, the challenge was, well, how do you protect it when there are, are thieves, there are regularly, you know, sort of warring factions that come through and take it from you. So often people would bury their treasure. And certainly at times someone would bury the treasure, no one else in their family knows where it is, and that person dies, so the treasure just remains. So it wouldn't be surprising that there would be some buried treasure all around that area. So we can imagine a scenario like Jesus describes here. Of there's a man who works for a landowner, and so he's just working that day. Perhaps he's, he's plowing the field. And as he's plowing the field, the plow hits something. The man is curious. He begins to dig down a little bit, and he discovers there is something in the ground, and he looks further to find that there is great treasure that has been buried there. The man is obviously stunned by this and thrilled to find great treasure. I wonder if you can imagine, if you're just going about your normal day this week, as a student on campus in your neighborhood, and in your normal rhythm of life, nothing new, no new locations, but you come across great treasure. What would that be like? Like, What would would be like amazing treasure to you? I was thinking about for me what that would look like, and so... A regular rhythm of my life is buying books on Amazon. So I, so I regularly go to Amazon. So I think, what would that be for me? It would be like if I went to Amazon, I'm buying more books, I'm thinking, do I really need this book? And I'm saying, well, of course I do. And so I begin to, to buy the book. But I put it in my shopping cart, and this thing pops up, and it doesn't say today is Amazon Prime Day. It says today is Amazon Free Day. Unlimited books. So I just keep adding them, and they're all free. So that would be in the normal routine of my life, coming across great treasure. What about you? On campus, in the workplace, coming across great treasure. As you think about Jesus' story here, you might be wondering, especially if you're a lawyer, we have a few of those around, how was this supposed to be handled? Was this unethical for the man to go buy the field in order to obtain the treasure? Well, under the rabbinic law of the day, if a worker faced a situation like this, the law was that if you didn't own it and you found the treasure and you lifted it up out of the treasure, out of the ground, it belonged to the landowner. But the law was if you left it in the ground and then you bought the ground, that would then belong to you. Of course, Jesus is not referring to an actual event to make his point, and, and Jesus is not primarily interested in the ethics of finding treasure in a landowner's field. Now, Jesus' point is this, to say that the kingdom of heaven is like that treasure. That when the man finds it, he's so filled with joy 
that he eagerly goes and sells all that he has to buy that field and possess that treasure. And connected to that, Jesus also wants us to see that sometimes this is representative of how a person comes to know Jesus. Notice the man was not looking for treasure. He was not a treasure hunter. Just going about his normal life, working that day, and he stumbles across great treasure. And so it is for people sometimes who would say of themselves, I'm not curious about Jesus. I never have been. I'm not seeking Jesus. And yet, as a surprise to them, a turn of events, even in one day, they find themselves strangely compelled to consider Jesus Christ. We see a real-life example of this in John chapter 4. In John 4, there's this woman who goes to the well. She's a Samaritan woman. We don't know her name. And she goes to the well in the middle of the day as she had the day before that and the day before that. This was just an everyday occurrence. So nothing special. She goes to the well and she's there at the well. And to her surprise, there's a man at the well in the middle of the day. And this man talks to her. And this man was Jesus. And they had this intriguing conversation. And I would commit it to you to read this week in John 4. But through this conversation, she begins to see that Jesus is the one that she needed. And it was so compelling to her that she actually leaves her water jug. She'd come there to get water. She leaves the water jug and runs back into the town to say, I've met this one. Could he be the one we've been waiting for? So she too was going about her normal rhythm of life, and yet Jesus met her in that. And her life was changed dramatically in those moments. She did not start the day thinking about the Messiah. She ended the day having met him. And friend, if you're not a Christian, we're so humbled that you would choose to spend part of your Sunday with us here. And maybe if you were asked to describe yourself, if you were honest, you would say, actually, I don't don't think I am curious about Jesus. Maybe you came this morning because a friend invited you. Maybe you're here today because, honestly, you're, you're looking for friends. You, you found the loneliness of the city. See, I would just like to meet some other people. Whatever reason you're here, we're glad that you're here. But, friend, could it be that as you actually explored Jesus or just heard the words of Jesus even this morning, you might find, to your surprise, that you're strangely intrigued by Jesus. And we would just say that for whatever reason you think you came here today, we don't think it's an accident that you're here. We believe there's a gracious God who's over all things. Under his care, he's brought you here that, that you might hear Jesus' words today. Now the man in the parable sees the treasure. He decides to go and sell all that he has to buy this field. Imagine what this man's family and friends thought. As far as we know, he just went to work today. He comes home maybe early from work or at the end of the day and says, we're selling everything. Like, whoa, 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 what, what? No, we're selling everything. Why? To buy that field. Why that field? Was it that field or why why that field? I mean, it seems to be a strange, almost irrational choice that the man is making. It doesn't make sense to anyone else except to him. And that's certainly the experience sometimes for people as they begin to know and follow Jesus. 
Friends and family say, you're doing what? You think of yourself as a Christian now? You regularly go to church? That's been the experience of some of you in this room that, that still family and friends just can't figure out what it is that you're doing, why it is that you're even here in this moment. So the man takes this seemingly outrageous step of selling all that he has to go and buy the field. But notice, Jesus wants to see this man does it in his joy. So he's not grudgingly saying, you know, it's a good investment. I should go buy the treasure. So I'm going to sell everything and go and buy it. No, he's so joy-filled. He's thrilled to sell everything to buy that because of the surpassing value of that treasure. It costs him everything. He joyfully does this. Jesus then tells a second parable, verses 45 to 46. In this one, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So it seems that this merchant knows pearls. He searches, and in his search, he finds one of great value. And this man goes and sells all that he has, not to buy 10 pearls, but to buy this one pearl. But unlike the, the man in the first parable, the merchant didn't stumble across this. He was searching for it diligently looking for a valuable pearl. And on his search, he finds this one, the greatest one he's ever found because he sells everything for it. My friend, I wonder, is it, can you imagine in your life anything at all that would be valuable enough you would sell everything for it? I mean, is it a valuable enough stock? You'd sell it all for that stock. A house. You might have to sell it all to, to buy a house in Boston. But is there anything you'd say, I will sell everything for this? But that's what we see for both of them. This is also the way that some come to know Jesus. Just as this merchant did a careful search, so often... People who are curious about Jesus enter into a careful exploration. So it's not this sudden thing like the previous one, but it's a, a period of deliberate reading, perhaps, listening, asking questions, wrestling with doubts. And we see a, a real life example of this in Acts chapter 8, where we're told with this interesting person, we don't know his name, we call him the Ethiopian eunuch. So he'd come to, to know something about God, consider himself a worshiper of God, but he travels from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home, he's sitting in a chariot reading the prophet Isaiah. And we see that God supernaturally brings this guy Philip to the chariot. And he says to the man, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, I, I don't. Can you help me? Philip gets in and takes from Isaiah and explains who Jesus is and what he has done. And the man comes to trust in Christ. So this man had been diligently searching, traveling long distances to consider, could there be this God that he was looking for? I figure maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're diligently exploring. And so we're so glad that you're in that, and we would love to aid you in any way possible. 
So wherever you are in this search, we just want you to know that you're welcome at hope. Whether you're brand new, we just want you to feel like you could come here every Sunday. And if you don't want to talk to anybody, you're welcome to do that. If in time you say, I'd like to know more, we would love to help you in that. So it might be if you came with a friend and they're a Christian or a family member, ask them. They would love to tell you more. Or like, I'll be at the door on the way out. I would love to chat with you. Or the connect card that Mike mentioned earlier, you could note that as well. We would love to chat with you. We should also notice that in both, they both come to a moment when they act decisively. The man who found the treasure had to make a decision, will I sell it all and buy it? You can't kind of buy this property. Either you buy it or you don't. So it is with the merchant. He has to decide, am I really going to sell everything to buy this one pearl? You can't sort of waver back and forth. Eventually you say, okay, I'm all in. I'm going to buy the pearl no matter this high cost. And so it is as we consider Jesus. All of us face a decisive moment. What will we do with Jesus? As we consider him, will I trust in him? Will I believe in him? We should also see that in both, it costs them everything. But even as it costs them everything, they don't sell everything grudgingly or under obligation. They both are eager to do this, even joyful, because they know they're getting something of much greater value in exchange. But you might reasonably be asking, is Jesus saying here that we buy our way into his kingdom by selling all that we have? Because if you just read these two parables, I think you could arrive at that conclusion. But we're always going to read the Bible in its context. So we understand this parable in its context. We're going to understand Matthew in the broader context. And nowhere in any parable does Jesus say that this one parable is comprehensive, that it's exhaustive. These parables are typically trying to tell us one element of it, not the entire story. So Jesus isn't saying that, that you buy your way, and that's been clear. If you've been with us in Matthew chapters 1 to 13 and throughout the Scriptures, The Bible is clear, no one can earn their own salvation. No one buys their way in. In fact, we must not try to buy our way in. Salvation can only be experienced when we stop trying to earn it and are willing to receive it as a free gift. That is essential to know Christ. The story of Christianity is of a a gracious God who sent forth Jesus Christ, the Son, into this world. And in coming here, Jesus laid aside his riches, becoming poor for our sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says it this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Christ came humbling himself that he might give to us the greatest of treasure. And a part of this grace of Christ is that he actually is ultimately the one seeking us. Jesus says of himself in Luke chapter 19 that he came to seek and save the lost. And God is always at work doing that in the coming of Jesus and now by the Spirit. So in both these parables, there are real actions being taken. But ultimately, Jesus would say, even before they started to seek, Christ was the one seeking them. 
That's how kind and gracious, loving Jesus is. That he has come to seek us, to seek sinners like you and me. What a savior he is. And so then we enter into this salvation by receiving it, by faith, trusting in Christ alone, and simultaneously for those who do receive this gift by salvation, uh, the salvation by faith, to truly receive it will cost everything. So it's freely given to all who receive it, and for all who receive it, it costs all. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That's how Paul speaks of this treasure we receive. We gain Christ, that is the ultimate treasure. That's the, the, the surpassing value. And in light of that, everything can be counted as loss. So to the disciple of Jesus, it costs everything. But even as it costs us everything, the dominant tone of those who it has cost everything is that of joy, which we see in these parables. The followers of Jesus are to be the most joyful people because we've come to know this surpassing gift of Christ. A joyful abandonment of what we gain because of what we gain in Christ. A joyful abandonment of other things in this world because of this gift from Christ. Jesus' very first disciples who would give up everything to follow him, most of them would lose their lives for his sake. Came to know this. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 19, verse 29. Everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will re inherit eternal life. So it costs everything and yet it is the greatest of gain. But the challenge of giving up our treasures for the greater gain of Christ is that there are so many competing treasures in our lives, in our hearts, in our society. And the treasures in front of us seem so valuable. And we wonder, can we really live if we give them up? So it might be the treasure of wealth or the treasure of the future hope of wealth, the treasure of comfort in this life, the treasure of success, the treasure of safety. And we could go on laying out these various treasures in our society. And friends, we hold these treasures or the hope of these treasures and we face the dilemma, are we willing to give up these treasures for the true treasure. Well, I give up these treasures that our culture, that our families, that our friends say are ultimate and worthy of our lives for this other treasure that the people around us think that seems ridiculous. But friends, in comparison, the things we treasure here are so small in comparison. Or in fact, some of the things that we treasure here are no treasure at all. As you might have guessed, my brother and I and my friend did not strike it rich. 
So those jewels that we found, we thought these may be diamonds. Diamonds will cut glass. So we literally got some glass and we're like, can it cut? They might really be. Well, they turned out to be fake jewels from a cheap, cheap chandelier had just ended up in this field. So they were without any value at all. So within moments, we went from millionaires to right back where we were. And so it is with so many things that we treasure in this world that sparkle, seem to be so valuable. Some of them do have some value, but they're not ultimate. We face the question, will I give up these lesser treasures for the greater treasure? Will I give up this lesser gain for the ultimate gain of Christ? We want to be clear, Jesus is not against all wealth. He's not against some level of stability. But the question is, where am I looking for my true treasure for salvation? And as long as I hold tightly to the treasures of this world, I can't truly know Christ. And the fact is, these treasures of the world can't really satisfy. But when we place our trust in him, give up all for him, we receive infinitely more. Some experienced in this life and so much promised in the life to come. And friends, a right view of treasure then frees God's people to live in extraordinary generosity. That a Christian can make much in this life and freely give it away. A Christian can have very little and still be marked by tremendous generosity. Because our hope, our treasure is elsewhere. A right view enables us even to lose what we have, to have it taken from us for his name and to have that happen and still be marked by hope and joy. Listen to these compelling words from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Hear that again. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your prosperity since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Can you imagine that ever Marking your life, where your property was plundered and you responded with joy. Because I have a better possession. You can't take it away. It's a lasting one. It's an abiding one. So I could lose all, but I still have that, friends. That's what this right view frees us to. So, friend, if you're honest today, what is the center treasure of your life? What's of greatest value to you today? Then Jesus gives a third parable, verses 47 to 50. Jesus says, then the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. This was a very familiar image in the world of that day. And so there would be a very large net, a drag net that would be tied often between two boats. So the net's lowered, the two boats make their way. And this net, it literally gets everything, fish that are alive, Fish are dead, trash, everything would come into this big net. 
So you'd pull the net for a while. Eventually, then they, they would pull it to the shore. It would take numerous workers. They didn't have to go through everything that's there. And so they would sort the fish, the good fish from the bad fish. And Jesus says, so it will be at the end of the age. Jesus says, angels will come and they will separate the evil from the righteous. The evil will be thrown into the fiery furnace, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable has some similarities to a parable we saw last week of the weeds and the wheat. And I can't say everything about this today, so if you're curious uh, more on this topic, I would commend you. You can go to the church website and you just listen to the sermon to kind of fill that out more. And the focus of this parable is that there is an end to the age that is coming, but it has not yet come. This is a confusing thing for God's people because they, they, it was not surprised that judgment was coming. They, they knew judgment was coming. What was surprising to them is that judgment didn't come immediately when the Messiah came. We saw this earlier with John the Baptist, who was a, a devoted follower of Jesus, but he's, he was confused. If Jesus really is the Messiah, why wasn't he bringing judgment right now? And Jesus is saying, you've misunderstood. Yes, there is judgment coming, but not yet. It will come, but not until the end of the age. So there's this in-between time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Between this current moment and the end of the age. So Jesus is saying, don't, under, don't misunderstand. There is a judgment coming, but not yet. Now, there are numerous reasons that it's not yet, but one of those, as we mentioned last week, is this. As the Apostle Peter lays out, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So one of the reasons there's a delay between the coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is this time for people to hear the good news of the king. God is patient, much more patient than we are, so that we might hear and believe, place our trust in Jesus Christ. So just as Jesus is saying it's not yet time, he's clearly affirming that there is a day of judgment to come. Jesus wants this warning to be heard and understood. Jesus says the separation will be the evil from the righteous. But if you're familiar with the Bible, you know the Bible often says that no one is righteous. So if the righteous are separated, who are the righteous or how might one become righteous? Well, the only one who's perfectly righteous is Jesus the perfect son of God. And he came to walk this earth living a sinless life, obedience, purity, the life that you and I should have lived, but we've never lived. Jesus was and is perfectly righteous, but, but while he walked the earth, he chose to allow himself to be treated as if he was evil on the cross. As Jesus, the sinless son of God, is put to death, accused of being an evil blasphemer. And the righteous one, dies, paying the penalty of the sin of rebels like you and me, paying for our own evil that we have committed, that through his death in our place, his resurrection, conquering Satan's sin and the grave, he would make this salvation available to any and all who would receive it by faith. Friend, I hope you see that Jesus wants us to grasp the reality of the 
this coming end of the age. If you've been with us, Jesus has repeatedly spoken about this. Jesus is repetitive when it comes to judgment. And when I preach, I'm sometimes repetitive because I'm not a great preacher. I don't intentionally repeat. Sometimes it's just a bad habit. Friends, Jesus is perfect in his communication. So if he repeats things, there's a reason. He didn't forget he said it. He intentionally is repetitive. So he wants us to see, he wants us to heed this warning. He warns of the coming end of the age, the coming judgment, and Jesus alone provided a way out. So he announces judgment, he delivers from judgment. He's provided salvation for those who deserve judgment like us. He alone has provided this as a gift, the infinitely valuable treasure. And friends, we must hold both of these together. This is who Jesus is, the one who warns of judgment and the the one who endured judgment that we deserve in our place so that we wouldn't have to. He wants us to see he's provided a way out. Friends, what a glorious savior we have who announces and then pays for it. Friends, this points to one of the reasons that we as a church typically preach straight through books of the Bible. Now, there are numerous reasons that we do that, but one of the primary ones is to protect you from me and other pastors. So on the one hand, it protects you from me preaching the same 10 topics over and over. There's some things that maybe I'm interested in that I'd like. I can just preach those over and over. So, So it protects you from that. But even more importantly, it protects you from my temptation to dodge hard topics. And as we know, judgment is a hard topic. To be honest with you, if it was up to me, I would probably never find my way across decades of preaching to preach about judgment. Certainly not in the middle of September, right? So we're we're all excited to be back from the summer. There are new students in the city. What would be a compelling, attractive message? Judgment. Of course, I would never choose that on my own. Left to my own devices because I, I fear the opinions of others because I'd like to be liked, I might just preach those first two parables and then skip. But it's for your good, friends, that we preach straight through to protect you from me. Because this is a part of what Jesus said, and he wants us to understand and feel the weight of it. Friends, if this life is all that there is, if there is no coming into the age and life beyond, then we should simply live for today. But since there is an end of the age, and there is eternity beyond, we must live in light of that. But we need to work to keep in mind the temptation of these other treasures so that we'll spend our days, however many we have, living for the right treasure. So we see finding treasure, and then very briefly, we see second, sharing treasure. Sharing treasure, verses 51 and 52 Jesus asked his disciples if if they've understood what he has said, and they answer yes. Then look at what Jesus says, verse 52. He says, therefore, every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. 
So a scribe was a teacher in that day, a religious teacher. And Jesus is saying that a scribe trained for his kingdom, he's referring to a disciple. This is a disciple of Jesus. Any disciple of Jesus would be what Jesus is saying here, a scribe of the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying that all of us, all Christians, are to be like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So imagine you're going to someone's house now. You're going over for dinner, and you're getting to know them. And So you have dinner. You're sitting around maybe having some dessert. And then the homeowner just wants to, to share, because they want you to know them, things that are treasures for them. So if you came to our house tonight, and we, we ate, and we're having some dessert, we might want to show you our treasure. So, so perhaps treasure for us, we might pull out a picture of our two kids. So we show you pictures, and we tell you about them. We say, but these are, this is old treasure, though. They're, they're old news. Let us show you our new treasure, our grandson. We, we love them, but we have something new, the, the greater gift that's come. And so we, so we pull out the pictures and say, these are the new treasure, the thousands of photos we have of our grandson. So old and new. And Jesus says, we're to be like that in opening up and sharing old and new treasures. So, but what does he mean by this for the disciple? He's saying that we're to share from God's great story. So we share of God's grace and saving work beginning before creation, through creation, across the centuries, God's great redemptive saving story that culminates in the cross and resurrection of Jesus that moves on to today and beyond to the life to come. And so we want to tell that whole story as we share with others. And we seek to do that primarily through the scriptures. So we want to share across the entire Bible, old and new. So, friends, we want to seek to understand and be able to share from the Old Testament. And we want to teach and understand the, the Old Testament as Jesus taught it, that Jesus helps us to see the Old Testament is about him. It finds its fulfillment in him. So we read the Old Testament now through the lens of looking back through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And then as well, we embrace the New Testament. We want to seek to understand and live in light of the Scriptures. So, friends, as Christians, we want to be a people of the entire Bible. This is God's good design for us, not just a part of the Bible. Sadly, some Christians unintentionally leave behind the Old Testament. So well, it's hard to understand at times. It does take work. And sadly, even some Christian leaders advocate leaving behind the Old Testament. Friends, we've seen just in the Gospel of Matthew, if you've been with us again and again, Matthew alludes to or quotes from the Old Testament. We understand Matthew better if we understand the Old Testament, and we understand the Old Testament better as we understand Matthew. So we want to be people who understand, love, and share from the Old Testament, and also we want to be people who love the entire New Testament. There's some Christians who say, well, you know, I just I love the Gospels, or I love the Apostle Paul, or I love the Apostle John. We want to be people who love, embrace all the New Testament, and then embrace all the scriptures. And so we're going to bring forth the treasures from both the old and the new. It's there we have treasures. But what are we to do with these treasures? Not bury them, not lock them away, but share them with others. And for this is the mission for the Christian, to share these treasures. The beauty of a gracious God who created all things. And he's provided salvation to any and all who believe, who has provided life worth living now and life eternal. So that's what we're seeking to share, the surpassing beauty and value of Jesus. 
And this treasure we share is unlimited. We will not run out of it. So we can share it with anyone and everyone we encounter. But also because of what we just saw, this mission of sharing is urgent. Because there is an end of the age coming. There is a judgment that all will face. So it is valuable, it is important, and it's urgent. There's a number of ways this might play out for you. It might be that you're this week at lunch with a coworker, and the conversation sort of surprisingly turns to faith. You begin to share how Christ has impacted your life. Or it might be that you're just in the dorm and you end up talking to the person in the room next door. And they say, hey, I, you know, saw that you left Sunday morning. Like, nobody gets up and goes where Sunday morning. Where were you going? And you say, well, I know it sounds crazy, but I actually went to church on Sunday. And it opens a, a doorway for a conversation. Or it might be that you're a parent. You're at the park with your kids and you meet another parent. And the parent begins to talk about just how lonely it is in the city. How do you meet other families? You say, well, one of the ways that we've met them is through our local church where there's some other families there and that's been a gift to us. Or it might be a friend or a, a close coworker who even you have a chance to read the Bible with and by reading the scriptures together, expose them to this treasure. And friends, as we do this, we'll have a variety of responses. Many people will have no interest. Some of them, when you begin to say, oh, I went to church on Sunday, it may end the conversation right there. Some will be interested. Some, like the man who stumbled across the treasure, might be compellingly drawn that very day. To see, I think Jesus is what I've been looking for my whole life. You might even be shocked about how interested they really are. Or another one might just begin the process to say, yeah, I guess I would like to know more. And you say, you know, one of the best ways to do that is simply to read the Bible. I'd love to just read the Bible with you. So we'll have a number of responses as we do this. Because we've come to know this treasure of Christ, the gospel, the ultimate treasure. Let's, let's pray that we'd be marked by enduring joy, grounded in this abiding treasure. Let's pray that God would open opportunities, even this week today, for conversations with others. We might share with them the news of this treasure. Let's pray that God would stir urgency within us. It's simply to be complacent, to be urgent, to want to share. Friends, if we know Christ, we now possess the greatest of treasure. That's the reason for an enduring joy. Joy for today, joy for suffering, joy for losing all. And friends, from that joy, we're just going to join together and glad singing today.